there's one more thing I must do. <laughs> slinky. <laughs> Everyone there's loves a slinky. open right there. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I am one of your hosts. I'm here joined by the same lovely face I am every week, Mr. Scott Melson. Hey, guys. Also in the studio in the upper room with us today is a return guest, John Rourke. The upper room. The upper room, indeed. You weren't here last week when we so christened this space. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, if you were interested in soundproofing, not that you should, but I found on Amazon they're like a dollar a piece for twelve by twelve squares, yes. like a twelve pack. There's even one for nine ninety nine of different kinds. Oh, so, all right. Anyway, so today I want to start by catching up where we left off when John was last with us, and that was uh, well, for one, it was Veterans Day, and today we're recording this on Thursday the seventh, which happens to be Pearl Harbor Day. Um, that is apropos. You were not in Pearl Harbor, but you are a veteran, mm-hmm. and we thank you for that again. But at the end of our last episode with you, we all placed uh, our a guess, small wager. our wager. There was no money involved, but our our own predictions, we'll say that, for what would happen with the outcome of the special session and the governor's veto. And we, we went over that already on the on a previous episode of the pod. But separately, apart from our discussion on the recording, the three of us had a group text in which Scott said, what do we get John if he's right and the governor vetoes this? And I said... A let's fix this tote bag. A tote, that's right. Which, Which I have for you today. Oh. Did not exist. But now, now it now <laughs> exists. Well, thank you. I've just been given a lovely tote. <laughs> I was ordering some for myself, and I, so I have something to tote my let's fix this gear around. So well, This is great. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sad to have been the dissenting voice of this group. Someone had to add some drama. Well, well. you know. And, and in the end, I think it was, uh, honestly, it was probably a good decision because I was much more fond of option A than option B sure. on the budget. So, right. Sure. Um, you know, I guess we'll keep this uh, as a running uh, theme when the three of us are together and uh, taking small bets on what the legislature will do in the great state of Oklahoma. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way then. Sure. So then we know there's going to be another special session, a second extra, extraordinary session. Regardless of when the governor calls it, when do you think it will actually, that she'll say this is the first day? That's a great question. Just point of clarification, when you have a special session and that special session ends and you need to call an extra, extra, is that still called a special session or is it no longer special? If there's more than one. If there's more than one. No, it's still special. It's just special in a different kind of way. Well, now, now if we're getting real, if we're getting really technical, it's 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 not special. It's extraordinary. So it's the I think constitutionally, it's mandated that the governor may call extraordinary sessions um, as many as she wants, and she can actually call it concurrently with regular session. Right, right. And the difference being, there's an ordinary session and right. then an extraordinary or extraordinary, right. if you depend on your pronunciation, which Indeed. emphasis on the different syllables. Nice. All right, so today, uh, this episode is going to be, I think, the first of maybe a series. Yeah. Scott and I have discussed doing a series about the topic of community. I don't know. Did I say this to you when I invited you on? You did. Okay. Um, so we, and I, I 
shared this the other day on Twitter and Facebook that I listened to an episode of On Being uh, with Krista Tippett. It's a, a radio program and podcast uh, that NPR supports, and uh, you can get there. You can get it. I forget the website, but just Google On Being with Krista Tippett. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, know who she is. It's, great it's podcast. a f- great. fantastic Phenomenal. series. Fantastic. Uh, side note, Krista Tippett from the great state of Oklahoma. She is an Oklahoman. That's right. She references it in this episode that was just the other day. Born and raised in Shawnee, America. Really? Yeah. Pod County, huh? Mm-hmm. Right. High school? So I believe so, yeah. Are you asking which one? Or did oh, she, yeah, att- I, did she I attend high school? I was if it was actually in Shawnee. Yeah, I think so. That she attended high school in Shawnee. Oh, I, I believe so. I believe Is there so. more than one high school in Shawnee? At I the don't. time she was here, I think there was just one. Okay. There may be two now, but maybe just one. She would have graduated in like 77, 78, somewhere in there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. CD5. There you go. That's right. Um, so we wanted to maybe talk about uh, talk about community. So the episode, the most recent episode um, of On Being was about community, and they interviewed a couple of different folks, and the conversation about community made they reference politics a little bit and it made me think that politics has a way it could be uh, i think to create a sense of community and to bring people together it can certainly also be a thing that divides us and sure. maybe we see that a lot right now uh in in america and even here in oklahoma uh and that it occurs to me that surely there's something we can do about that no, absolutely. I mean, I think it kind of, you know, I think that we're we're operating right now in a paradigm where politics is seen as a as a contest, and I don't I don't just mean that electorally, but um, I think that politics right now we are in a season where politics is it's war, right? It's us against them, and whoever is not, yeah, whoever is not whoever is not in my tribe is in the opposing tribe, and they're the enemy. And the goal isn't good policy; the goal is to beat them. Right. Like it is it is a competition fundamentally, as opposed to I think the idea of politics as a community, we could get back to kind of what the root of it should be, which is about moving forward, finding consensus, finding compromise. Right. I think there's a time period where politics was looked at as the it's messy. It can be dirty. But politics is the art of bringing disparate groups together, forging a consensus opinion that everyone can live with and that hopefully is good for society and moving forward. But that's not where we are right now. Well, and I, that's an interesting perspective and I hope that you are right. And I think that's maybe the jumping off point here is that I don't know that everyone agrees with that right now. And so as I was thinking about this, there was a quote in the episode um, of, of on being. Uh, so it's a, a quote from James Baldwin, kind of social critic and someone involved in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. where he says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. Yeah. Which we were just discussing Star Wars before we started recording. It sounds a lot like Yoda, right? Where fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. So this kind of undercurrent that there's a lot of hurting out there and that we, maybe we cling to, it's easier to hate someone that we think causes us hate than to actually, yeah. or to cause us pain than it is to deal with whatever pain there is. It's easy just to split somebody off. Do you guys think that's true at all? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And I think that, I think not only is it easier to do that, but I also think that we have um, leaders who 
recognize that about the human psyche and prey on it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, whatever, you know, whatever you think about president Trump, whether you agree with his policies, disagree, whatever. I, I think that one of, one of the reasons that he was elected was that he was able to go into communities in this country that are feeling an intense amount of, they pers- of, of pain and, and suffering, lost jobs, wage stagnation, you know, opioid addiction, towns are shrinking, kids leave, they don't come back, if they can leave at all. And I think that President Trump was able to go in those communities and say, one, I have a plan to make your lives better, but two, I know whose fault it is that you're suffering in the first place. Yeah. Go ahead, John. So, yeah, I'm going to concur with that and say that what you have is a fostering of a sense of anti-establishment, right? So that there is some uh, seen or unseen force that is responsible for your suffering and that uh, there are there is a contingent of um, folks, uh, politicians that are willing to capitalize on that sentiment and say, you know, I alone or I and my coalition um, have the answer for taking up against the establishment that is causing you that suffering. So, yeah, I, in in future weeks, as we kind of move along with the series, uh, we're going to visit with some members of the clergy um, from maybe hopefully some different religions even um, because certainly this is not just a Christian issue although that is the predominant religion in America and certainly probably the one that most of our listeners and most citizens identify with Uh, and and that's the maybe the faith uh, background that I think the three of us all grew up with and and so seeing things through that lens this the the issue of theodicy that there is there's pain and suffering in the world how do we reconcile that with the idea that something, someone should be good and that there should be some kind of uh, a path forward, a, a sense of hope or a future? And and I think in many ways it feels like we've kind of lost that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think kind of going like back to thinking about the the, the episode of On Being, I, I think that you're right that politics absolutely can be an avenue for community it's not the only right like there's certainly you know a lot of a lot of different ways to build community and we need to build community in different ways i personally think that if you look at us as human beings i think that one of the reasons that this you know certainly listening to these these words about you know community relationships it resonates so much with me because my belief is that as people this is kind of how we're built right this is how we're put together we're you know whether you're looking at it from a theological perspective or a biological a biological perspective an evolutionary perspective we're social animals right like human beings are not meant to live in isolation now, wherever you think that comes from it's just a fact that we're that we're not um but not only do i think that politics can be an avenue for community. I think if politics is going to be successful, that community has to exist, right? You know, they talk a lot about um, built like relationships, and that you know we like the uh, one of the one of the authors that she talks to um, is that we as people, like if as we're in society, kind of trying to reconcile the times in which we find ourselves, we need to be better about seeing and hearing each other and that really kind of struck me as we watch you know congress as we watch the state legislature it seems like so much of the time i see people just talking past each other Mm -hmm. you know like 
it's not i think we expect that they're there listening to one another and weighing what the other people say but if you watch it either at the state capitol you watch c-span or whatever you know that the chamber is largely empty and that these what i put a lot of importance on like these passionate speeches that are well written and well thought out in many cases that you would hope that they might sway votes and i'm sure they do to a degree but not as much as i think the common person probably thinks so yeah and i I think when you when you conceive of politics as a representative notion right Uh, where individuals are trying to represent other people in the community you think of it as a vehicle for being inclusive for civil discourse for finding common solutions and and what you have at this point is politics as othering right Mm -hmm. we're always looking at it it well, it's not our fault, it's their fault. And sort of, and I think that's serving to drive that wedge instead of being um, a vehicle for what it should be, which is bringing people together to have a conversation about how we all move forward and, and the compromise that you were talking about uh, just a while ago, Dr. Melson. <laughs> I agree. And so we've kind of, I think all of us agree, and I'm sure most of our listeners would as well, that at its core, politics is about people and relationships, or I, I would hope that it is. Um, it's certainly about governing and maybe money to a degree. Um, but I, I would argue that there is no aspect of the human condition that operates outside of relationships. No, Everything, we are relational beings. 100%. Said. No, you'd really have to try it. Right. Living outside of that. Right? Even uh, You'd have to cloister. Right. Even if you do, there's still a relationship with yourself, with the world around you there's something there's a transactional component to how we understand the world right it's it's i relate I interact with things whether it's coconuts on a deserted island or it's you nuts here in this upper room like whatever it is um i think that one of the other things that one of the other ways that politics can help build community is that there is something powerful about showing up like just, just physically being present, um, being there as a, not just as an elected official, but for us as voters to, to show up at the polls. Um, that is how we deposit into those relationships, um, to show up in face-to-face conversations with our legislators, to show up in emails, uh, handwritten letters, Christmas cards, as we're going to do in a few weeks or next week, I guess. Um, and that there's the doing that. And, and also, showing up in terms of like large groups of people right so rallies and those things have a place as well and that it demonstrates to others what we feel on the inside yeah you know i think it's interesting too thinking about you know what this idea of kind of politics as community or community within politics i wonder sometimes how much the advent of of social media has changed the physical dynamics uh, of of relationships, both you know, certainly I mean, relationships in general, but certainly in politics. We you know one of the things that um, that they spend some time talking about um, is this idea that like we need to practice our responses. Um, that you know, there's neuropsychology research that is really showing that habits, you know, things that we practice, things that we do daily. Um, become ingrained to us at more than a psychological level, like they do become kind of 
part of who we are. And, you know, with social media, we've developed this, we've developed this um, online culture where to say and do anything virtually is acceptable, right? Like people say things, people say things on Twitter and Facebook that I have always thought, I mean, you, you would never say that in person. Right. But I think we're, we're starting to see a change that like now some of that stuff is being said in person, right? Like some of that stuff oh, is sure. being like some of that stuff, like those responses that used to be, Oh, this only takes place online because that's kind of the safe space for that. Well, you do that enough and it pretty normalized and pretty soon. That's the response that you're going to have. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the response that you're going to have even outside of that kind of protected domain. Yeah. I think we certainly see examples of hate speech and actions and stuff that, that do start to occur in real life. And that is, it's not just frightening to me. It's really, it can be really discouraging. Right. And, you know, I think one thing as we're talking about this, it's important to remember, and I have to, I have to remind myself of this. It's easy to look at where we are in politics right now and think like, Oh my God, like, you know, it's never been, it's never been this bad. We've never seen anything like this before in our history. Politics has, I don't know that there's ever been a time where it's been a totally like clean, lighthearted, everybody disagrees, but they do it disagree. You know, they, they're, they disagree without being disagreeable. I don't, I don't know that that's, I I think there's a little bit of a myth to that, like the good old days. I mean, you know how the, the beginning of the Republic, right? Um, so you've got <clears throat> uh, Hamilton and his Federalists, and they're trying to like basically take over the government. Then Jefferson wins the presidency. Uh, Jefferson and Madison basically destroy uh, the Federalist Party um, and their party, the, I forget what they call it, what Jefferson's party was called, but Southern uh, Democrats. Southern Democrats, there you go. Right. And they, they like run the country until the Civil War. And then the Civil War, Lincoln gets elected. And then Lincoln's Republican Party dominates the country. Like, they decimate the opposition, the Whigs. And then they run the country for the next 60 years. Like, even in the history of our republic, there has always been a lot of vitriol. Um, that's my dog, Juno, in the background, friend of the pod. Is she's dreaming? She's though? dreaming. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We Normally, Juno is downstairs or outside, but tonight, or today, she's joining she's us upstairs. passing through, but today she has that's decided right. to stay for the whole pod. Enjoying? Yeah, she's, she's stacked out. Is this so that she doesn't get forced to listen to it later with just you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? So she, so she doesn't have to sit on the couch with me while I drink whiskey you, and listen you know, to the pod. I, I just want to address one thing that you uh, brought up, Scott. It, it, and here's a, a really great question. I think what we tend to talk about this time right now uh, when we're sitting around you know, upstairs on a pod as a, like a uniquely divisive time in politics, and you reference sort of the ages gone by in American politics, and, and I really wonder, is it really uh, more divisive now than it was a hundred years ago, or is even it, is 50? it more volatile uh, now than it was 150 years ago, or or are we just seeing now in sort of you know I think we're all of the same age group at this table, and is it just new for us and yeah. we are sort of um, trying to navigate being a spectator in what is a more divisive time than was say. 10, 15 years ago. I think so. I mean, I think that for most of our adult life, for most of my adult life, um, it's been 
relatively peaceful and and certainly some things were occurring below the surface and it, it's different for our friends of color their experience is very different than ours but one of my one of my staff um, at my job is late 60s close to 70 she's retired and then came back because she got bored at home uh, and so I've talked to her a lot lately she's kind of always been politically active less so now than when she was our age and so the last several months I've talked to her and uh, said you know this is just so so mind-boggling so bizarre and I'm not sure how to feel about it and she kind of chuckles and says how we've been through this before like and I said really and I said with Nixon she's like yeah like back when Nixon was president during the 60s and we had the civil rights movement and Vietnam Vietnam and this stuff where I mean think about Vietnam as a, as a soldier as coming home and having people like actively do what would be spit considered at you throw spit, things. yeah like hate crimes True. at you lambast you if nothing else right and you're like man I, did, I got drafted I didn't want to go you know and so to be to I can't imagine doing that to anyone much less like a soldier yeah. who didn't want to go to war in the first place but you know you didn't have a choice you do what you got to do and maybe there was some goodness in there some you know it's just that kind of thing sounds terrible and the things that happened with the during the civil rights movement you know a few months ago i got to tour the um the museum of african-american culture and history john did you get to go as well I didn't. yeah um I don't know about you, but like the whole exhibit, especially about, I mean, it starts way back, like with the founding of the country, but the piece that I'm more aware of is, you know, during the 60s and the lunch counters and all of that. Which they have a, a mock-up of the lunch counter yeah. somewhere, and it's very powerful. It's, yeah, and I mean, I just, I cried for like three hours, just kind of off and on, um, going through, there's the part with the funeral thing and just the whole story and being like, I can't believe that this is not that long ago but then you look outside you read the news like well okay i can believe that this happened yeah and i mean you know to go back even farther i mean we've we've i mean we fought a war right i mean there was a time where the the divisiveness politically in this country was so bad that the country split up and we fought a war that's true for four years and uh, hundreds of thousands of people died about an issue that today sounds ridiculous right 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 and so you know, I I think you're. I mean, you're 100 right. Like that, this is not divisiveness in politics is not a new thing. I think that it is. You know, I don't know what the cycle is, but I think it is cyclical, right? Like it comes and goes. And I think that you're you're absolutely right that we're witnessing a particularly low point for the first time, kind of in our lifetimes. I do wonder sometimes if there if there is something kind of unique about what we're what we're seeing now. I mean, it, I do feel like that that. You know some of the stuff that I see on certainly national news, but even local news, that there are some just some kind of basic norms of decency that are being not just violated, but kind of just thrown by the wayside as if they don't as if they don't matter. And it and it makes me wonder, like, you know, is this doing is this gonna do lasting and to a degree irreparable damage? Right. And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. No, I, as I was kind of preparing for today, I ended up with more questions than answers, which is I'm okay with. I just realized how many questions that we probably all have. Uh, and so one of the things I thought about was, and this may be more unique to our time, is that um, 
there's and they allude to this on the on being episode that there's a a tendency in our society to break up rather than to endure difficult times right and so as a you know as a counselor who's helped i don't know close to i think 50 couples last time i counted it up like cope with issues in their relationship um those i mean if they came to counseling they generally were hoping to try to work through something but there are uncounted numbers that have that don't or that aren't able to i mean they try and they can't get through it um but i i think so often in in terms of politics we see them each side say this is my perspective these are my thoughts here's where i'm at the other side says here's where i'm at they disagree and they decide well we just can't obviously we disagree why even try as opposed to maybe what you said earlier scott that you we would hope that the two sides would that would use that as a starting place and not an ending place right the, the disagreement isn't the fact that we end there it's that maybe we start there and find how we get together or find some kind of common ground no i i absolutely agree and you know this makes me the what what you mentioned they talk about the you know the tendency that we that we break that we don't have commitment right like that we that we we break up rather than stay together and this made me think of um Ashley and I, we've been married for 10 years. So we had our 10 year anniversary in June. Congratulations. Um, Thanks man. Um, and, uh, when we first got married, uh, we moved out, we moved to Oklahoma city and we, you know, we'd been married like a couple of months and we were talking with friends and we were talking with a couple that, um, is about, about 10 years older than us. Um, and they're still very, very dear friends. And we are just, you know, did what all newlyweds do. Like, well, we've been married two months. You guys, what did, any advice like right. what's the secret to your happy marriage and you know you get tons of tons of fairly cliched um little tidbits from everyone that you talk to but something that we were told that that i think one really spoke to both of us that we took to heart and that we have come back to throughout our relationship that i really think you know could benefit all relationships especially kind of in the context of this conversation is to always assume the best about each other mm-hmm. benefit of the doubt right that's to, a big thing to always assume you know we don't uh, you know, don't approach conflict assuming that the other person has you know the worst of intentions um and i think that that's something that we see routinely in politics now is the assumption that the other side the other side is out to screw us in any way that they can or they're out to do the worst possible thing or they're gonna lie or they're gonna cheat like and <clears throat> I think this happens on, you know, I'm not blaming the blame it, you know, the feet of one party, party or the other, but I think we see that routinely is that there's, there's an assumption that the other side is disingenuous at best and malevolent at worst. Well, and I mean, I think there's a natural impulse uh, among all humans is a, a, maybe a biological thing to, um, to categorize an us versus them. I mean, it's a natural impulse to categorize and label because it makes the world, which is very, very complex, sure. easier to understand. Sure. Um, and maybe that stems from you know early human experience, like interactions with nature and other tribes, to be like these, these are safe. Don't eat those berries. You know, like whatever it is that it it helps at a. If you want to take kind of an evolutionary psychology look at things, it it makes, it helps you understand what's safe and what's not, and. And so perhaps it's in some ways that's what people are doing, that they're trying to say like this, these people, this tribe is, 
they will keep me and my family safe in some ways. We're, you know, we're not sure right so, now. Sure. We're not fighting wars, but so the exchange of information that leads to the common good is essentially what community is about. I mean, that's right. That's where we're getting right. Yeah. And so um, the the question becomes: So here we are with a very large, very diverse country, um, and we're in a situation where we have this sort of othering happening at the political level. You know, how do we take uh, the community approach to rectifying some of those issues on a political level right. at this point? How do we take it back to like, don't eat those berries? Right. You know, well, and it's even because it's good for all of us, not because I agree with you on a particular right, social right, issue. Right. Well, and, I think you'd have to override it though. Like, I think, I think you have to like, I think that, I think that the, the monkey brain or the lizard brain or whatever brain was says, says like, okay, the impulse is don't eat those berries. The impulse is you're your tribe. I'm my tribe. You're whatever. But I think part of the reason we're successful as a species is that we have learned at times to override our monkey brain. And I think that that's what we have to do now, right? Like my impulse may be to say in conflict, like, no, Andy's lying. Andy's, you know, to assume because he's that tribe and I'm my tribe and we're different. And so the goal should be to beat him. But I think part of what has to happen is we have to practice and consciously intentionally override that impulse and learn a different response. So it's being proactive rather than being passive and letting it come to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think not that I was going to say, are we, have we gotten lazy? Have we gotten exhausted is probably a better question because it is more work to do that. Right. It's sure. easier just to have a knee jerk, like, Nope, they're bad. Like, Oh, they're Republican. Oh, they're Democrat. Write them off. Than it is to say, like, you know what, there's a nugget of truth. I don't agree with everything, but how do we shine light on the good parts and make the parts darker? Right. It's hard. You right. know, and so it's, every person it, I talk to that says, How do you keep doing what you do? Let's fix this. I'm like, oh It's also it's also much easier to win elections giving in to the impulse. Right. I think so. Yeah. I mean, in our current climate, when you look at like when you look at when you look at the way the primary system is set up, when you look at the way the districts are gerrymandered, when you look at how like it's a tactic, it's no different than, say, a sports game. Right. I mean, you're you're spreading the field out. Right. I mean, you're using a proven tactic. Sure. Sure. But I, I do think, though, that especially in a climate that we have, like like the climate we have today, where we have tremendous inequality. Right. We've seen. A, I think a very definite class of people in America that have been victims rather than beneficiaries of things like globalization, technology, automation, right? You see factory towns in the Great Lakes region that have, you know, shrunk and they're not coming back. I think that creates a lot of anxiety. And I think that as a short term electoral strategy, it's really easy to go in there and say, you know what? It's this person's fault or it's this group of people's fault it's or it's this, it's right. this person. Like it's easier to take that knee jerk reaction and put the blame on the other tribe than it is to go in. It's, it's easier to win elections doing that than it is to go in and try and have a very nuanced and complicated discussion about all the factors that have contributed to this situation. And, and the complexity of solutions that it's going to take to make it better. Right. Like Andy and I were talking last week, like one of my pet peeves is when I hear politicians say, Oh, it's just a common sense solution. We need common sense solutions. 
No, we don't need common sense solutions, right? How to combat what globalization has done to towns across the, the Great Lakes region. There's no common sense solution to that, right? Like that's, that's complicated. But talking about complicated, it's, I just think it's hard to win elections talking about complicated ideas. Common you can't, sense too implies. There's a connotation to that. Right, right. Because right. what's common sense to me may not be to you. The complete opposite. Right, and it's saying if you don't ascribe to my common sense solution, then you right. have no sense. Right. I, I mean, to use a, a term that's being discussed a lot right now in national politics, trickle-down economics, yeah. uh, the idea of that is pretty palatable. Everyone's like, oh, right, okay, so they get money, and then they spend it on work, you know, it comes down, so we all win. That, unlike face value, oh, it seems all right. It turns out it doesn't work, maybe as advertised, not to the same degree that people hoped. Right. Uh, and so it's... So what seems common sense to me is to not do that anymore because clearly it hasn't worked for right. 30 years. But. but an even more complicated argument would be to say that comments that trickled on our supply side, to use the supply side economics, maybe makes sense in certain economic conditions. When right. you have incredibly high, when you have incredibly high taxes and regulatory burdens that are decreasing output and production, maybe it makes sense to try and lessen that. But that economic argument may not apply in a much lower tax and lower regulatory environment it's not as simple as oh this is always the solution right government just like government spending isn't always the solution to a recession increasing taxes isn't or decreasing taxes is not always the solution like it's complicated right yeah it's it's all very complicated and maybe as we uh we're kind of getting close to wrapping up for today uh and so maybe a place i'd like to end on is goes back to that on being podcast episode um the guy they interview and i'm didn't pull up his name. I apologize, but he um, Anand. Anand. I'm not even. You didn't I, know it either. See, no, I can. The thing. The thing is, I can see it in my head, but I also know I don't know how to pronounce it without looking at it again. That's okay. So also, uh, this goes back to the podcast, uh, the On Being podcast that they she Krista asks uh, one of the guests to give that starfish analogy, and we've all heard it before, and so I'll kind of share. Um, what he did, if I can find a way to cut it and paste it, I'll do it from here. But um, he talks about, you know, the two people are walking along the beach and they see there's a bunch of starfish that are on the beach that are going to die if they don't get water. And so he's picking them up and tossing them back into the water. And the other person says, what's what difference does it make? And the yeah, guy's millions of starfish. Right. Out here. And the guy says it matters to that one as he kind of tosses it in there. And and what the uh, the guest on on the podcast says is maybe the next level question is it's it's not about okay sure it matters to that starfish but that's not really what maybe that's not what the person was asking like maybe they're they're asking other questions like how did the starfish get here why there's so many is there something else that's going on that is causing all these starfish to be beached and die like is there another thing we could do that to would help to, all the starfish right that we starfish. get the root cause and so the first time I listened to the podcast, I ended like with just like, that's, I've never heard that before. And what a profound thought that it really does require us to ask other questions. And so just that quick fix that, oh, I'll, we'll save a few and the rest. Okay. We did what we could do, but maybe there's more we can do. Maybe there are underlying ways to fix things, to use a term that we all are close to, but it does require us to maybe like, sit quietly for a few minutes and contemplate what those things might be. I think 
I think that's interesting. And I think it's interesting in the, the context of this conversation that perhaps both of those people were walking down that beach considering the starfish and what to do about it. And in that moment, the two of them, though well-intentioned, maybe didn't have a common sense solution. Right. Yeah. Exactly it. All right. Well, that's brings us to the end for this week. Thank you, John Rourke, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your tote bag. Sir. Thank you. I will. I'll <laughs> tote many things in it. Next week, we'll have a guest lined up. So I don't know who it is yet, but I will. You'll find out next week, just like we will. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Uh, Scott is at SC Melson. I am at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page for Let's Fix This. We are facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website, as you've probably figured out, is Let's Fix This And you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, and details about upcoming events. By the way, if you're still listening, next Tuesday, we're going to have our second annual Let's Mail This event, um, where we get together, and it's kind of a holiday party, and we also are going to take some time to write holiday cards to legislators and other elected officials. If you'd like to join us, all the details are on our Facebook page and our website. We'd love for you to come and get to say hi and maybe commune with you for a few minutes and, you know discuss how to how to fix things and, and to do a little community building rather than community fighting our podcast is edited and produced by scott and me and we are a member of the mostly harmless media network and our theme music is graciously provided by the sugar-free all-stars let's fix this is a non-partisan non-profit organization and we strive to educate and equip all oklahomans to engage with the government we encourage you to get involved in any way that you can And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.